This episode of Bag of Bones is supported by Damsel in Defense, equipping women with personal protection, and also by Lumi Deodorant, the number one all-natural deodorant. Why? Why do women fall in love with convicted criminals of violent crimes? Why are they willing to give up any hope of a life together and any promise of a future? The study of hybristophilia is an episode in and of itself, but for this time around, we'll just keep things simple. In my research, I've broken it down to three main reasons. There are more, and of course, there are unique circumstances, and I hate painting with broad strokes just like you, But for the sake of containing this all within one episode, let's just look at these three. They truly believe the man is wrongfully convicted. They are hoping to ride the coattails of fame. Or they believe that they can fix them. Let's dive into the serial killers and the women who love them. Welcome. My name is Elizabeth Bougeret, and I'm that person that, when studying the many facets of history, likes to peek behind the curtain, investigate the hidden passages, drop into the rabbit hole, or dare to walk in the shadows, because we all know that's where the good stories can be found. Take a listen, then, to discover what dark or peculiar pieces of American history can be found this week from my bag of bones. do these women want? Most of the women in these stories are dominant, strong, intelligent. The men they were writing to and falling in love with were giving them the pieces of their life that they were missing. They tended to lean toward the more adventurous. It is not a desire that is so unbelievable, not even too very uncommon. It's just that most women don't live out these fantasies in real life and there are plenty of novels and movies waiting to fill in the gaps. There are thousands of books with the stereotypical roles of an aggressive, dominant male who has no interest in a relationship, and yet our heroine is able to woo him into submission, and they ride off into the sunset. Women want stories of men who love them so much that they are willing to give up their wicked ways just to be with them. And the more deviant the man the greater the victory for the woman who can claim his heart. The real-life version of this might look something like, it doesn't matter what crimes he's committed, when he's with me, he's completely different. So long as he loves her and shows her the attention, the rest almost becomes excusable. Or their love is so important that, in spite of all of the facts placed before them, they refuse to believe that they are guilty. I know that there are exceptions, and this is not the rule. Please don't send me hate mail. This is not an episode on all women, but it's a fairly accurate description of the traits and characteristics of these women who choose to suspend their life to participate in this world of criminals, bars, no physical connection, and delusion. These women seem to be wanting a man that is tough, edgy, little bit dangerous on the outside, but has that warm, squishy inside and only has eyes for her. If you think about it, America was raised on this kind of man. 
Sure, we may have started off with Prince Charming, but soon it became very clear in our programming what kind of man we were to fall in love with. In real life, not in fairy tales, we had cowboys, outlaws, gangsters. These are the ones who got the headlines. They had stories written about them, and it's still true today. When a serial killer makes the news, America wants to know every time he sneezes. He gets the headlines, he gets the stories, he gets the notoriety. We now have killers out there committing the most heinous crimes for their sake of 15 minutes of fame. Danny Rowling was just such a man. Better known as the Gainesville Ripper, he claims his motivation was that he wanted to be more famous than Ted Bundy. He confessed to murdering eight people in less than a year. Rowling met Sandra London after he was arrested and charged with the killings. She reached out to him and began a correspondence. This was before being found guilty and sentenced to death. However, even after she learned about all of the horrific details, the letters continued and they saw each other for the first time face-to-face in 1993. They got engaged soon after, and together they wrote a book that was published prior to his lethal injection execution. Rowling's murder spree was also the inspiration for the horror movie series Scream. In general, psychotic behavior does not attract women on its own, meaning we don't want that kind of drama long term. But if you add that excitement, a dash of danger with a touch of fame under controlled circumstances, that becomes a beast all of its own. Sheila Eisnerberg, the author of Women Who Love Men Who Kill, says, quote, Any notorious killer has had so many stories published about them. You can't turn on a television without a documentary or even a feature film being made about one of these people. And any woman who can write to one of these people and get a response and form a relationship, she too will be notorious, end quote. And these days, with social media and reality shows, it becomes more important to claim your fame and ride the wave for as long as you can. As mentioned before, Shonda London approached Rawling with the idea of his book, and they became engaged. But this was not her first time around with the cell block tango. Her first book that put her on the map in the true crime genre was written with convicted serial killer G.J. Schaefer, who was doing two life sentences when she reached out to him through correspondence. Eisenberg says, quote, One of the basic human needs is to be known. We live in a celebrity culture. The worship of celebrities and the celebrity culture that began 20, 30 years ago has just morphed, end quote. Afton Elaine Burton, or as for a time she preferred to be called Star, knew what she wanted, and wasn't afraid to go after it. The top student in her class, driven and intelligent. At the age of 17, she began writing letters to Charles Manson. In 1971, Manson was convicted for the murders of actress Sharon Tate and six other people. In the 1960s, his radical philosophies inspired a group of nomads looking for a better life to follow him. They were so committed to his thoughts and ideals, they were actually willing to commit murder for him. While Manson never actually killed anyone, the Sharon Tate murders and LaBianca murders committed by his followers in 1969 made him the most evil 
and dangerous man of the century. Afton, or rather Star, shaved her head and carved an X on her forehead to prove her love for him, and after she graduated high school, she emptied her savings account and moved to California to worm her way into his life. She was unfazed by his brutal past or Manson's apparent lack of remorse. In fact, she began campaigning for his innocence, and it didn't take long for the press to get involved. Burton was ready to pose an interview for all who asked. She'd tell Rolling Stone, quote, Yeah, well, people can think I'm crazy, but they don't know. This is what's right for me. This is what I was born for, end quote. Manson accepted her visits, and she showered him with gifts and managed his internet presence. She took care of the gifts, money, and mail that came to her fiancé and tried to convince the world of his innocence. In November of 2014, the 26-year-old got engaged to the 80-year-old. In her interview with CNN, she stated blankly, quote, I am Charles Manson's wife, but then adds, quote, Technically, the paperwork hasn't gone through yet, but we already consider each other to be husband and wife, end quote. It is true that Manson did file for a marriage request, but he also allowed it to expire without the marriage taking place. This was following rumors that Burton's only interest in marrying Manson was to be able to claim legal rights of his body once he died, intending to use it as a tourist attraction. She and her friend Craig Hammond had concocted this scheme almost a decade in the making to display his corpse in a glass case and charge the public to view it. However, on the website she claimed that they weren't married because he was ill at the time, and that she still hoped a marriage would take place soon. They had initially tried to get Manson to sign over his rights by a legal contract, but would never give them an answer. He continued to string her along. The New York Post's journalist Daniel Simone noted, quote, Manson finally realized that he had been played for a fool, end quote. Charles Manson didn't believe he would ever die. Charles Manson did, however, tell Rolling Stone his opinion of marrying Burton, quote, that's trash, he said, quote, we're just playing that up for public consumption, end quote. As a mother of grown daughters and with me traveling alone across the country, personal safety is always on my mind. I am always aware of my surroundings. I always let my people know where and when I'm going places. But to add that extra level of safety, I am never unprotected. Thanks to Damsel in Defense, I have several options for my personal safety. And can I just say, they are super cute. But don't think that just because they have bling that they won't do some damage to allow you to get to safety. And Damsel in Defense has thought of everything. DNA grab, GPS alerts, and easy to carry and access should the need ever arise. For your safety and all the women in your sphere, I beg you to check out these amazing products at www.mydamselpro.net forward slash bones. That's www.mydamselpro.net forward slash bones.
For four months in the winter of 1977, spilling into 1978, the bodies of 10 victims of women and girls aging from 12 to 28 were found in the hills of Los Angeles. The press called the work done by the Hillside Strangler. In February of 1978, the police identified the attacker as not one perpetrator, but two. Cousins. Kenneth Bianchi and Angelo Buono Jr. went on a murder spree before getting caught. Bianchi was caught first and quickly gave up his cousin. Both were sentenced to life behind bars. Enter Shirley Joyce Book from Monterey, Louisiana. She and Kenneth Bianchi began corresponding in 1986, which led to phone conversations, and then she was able to meet him in person in 1989. She knew that he was convicted of and confessed to raping and the murder of six female victims, but decided they should marry. Their wedding took place at the Washington State Penitentiary's chapel and was sponsored by the tabloid paper, The National Enquirer, who got exclusive rights to photos and interviews. Per their agreement, the couple did not grant interviews to any other media source. She was married in a white gown with a small veil while he wore the traditional black tuxedo. The wedding was attended by both bride and groom's parents. Meanwhile, the other half of the hillside strangler, 52-year-old Angelo Buono, managed to catch the eye of 35-year-old Christine Kizuka. She was still married when she met Buono, who was convicted of nine murders. Wait for it while visiting her husband in jail. Turns out the two men were neighbors and Christine decided to upgrade her criminal status street cred by trading in her assault with a deadly weapon husband for a notorious rapist, torturer, and murderer husband. In 1987, the two were wed and apparently were never allowed a conjugal visit due to the nature of his crimes. This was Buono's fourth marriage, with the third ending right before his conviction. Kazuka stayed married to Buono until his death in 2002 of a heart attack. As for the other happy couple, Book ended up divorcing Bianchi in 1993 when she found out that he was corresponding with other women. Is this the part where I tell you that Book only ended up with Bianchi because Ted Bundy was not interested? (laughs) Ted was busy with someone else. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but do you know that the Ragtag Network has its own merch? You can get merch for your favorite shows such as Bag of Bones, Save Me an Isle Seat, or Total Tomfoolery. Just visit www.ragtagnetwork.com merch now to check things out. Carol Ann Boone had showed her love and devotion for Ted Bundy years before his initial arrest. A mother of two and twice divorced, Boone was convinced that Ted Bundy was an innocent man. Ted Bundy is a serial killer who admits to raping and brutally killing 30 victims, even though they believe the total to be higher. While he was boastful about many things, he let the authorities know that he was taking some secrets with him. Even with his confession, she still stood by him. She was a character witness in one of his trials and is rumored that she helped him with one of his escapes in 1977. The two met while working together at Washington State Department of Emergency Services in 1974, where, incidentally, Bundy was, quote-unquote, helping 
search for many of the missing women, he'd been responsible for their disappearances. I liked Ted immediately. We hit it off well, Boone would say. He struck me as being a rather shy person with a lot more going on under the surface than was on the surface. He certainly was more dignified and restrained than the more certifiable types around the office, end quote. Carol Ann soon replaced Ted's longtime girlfriend, Liz Kendall, and in 1979, Ted requested that Carol Ann act as a character witness in his trial. This 1979 trial made history for a few reasons. One, it was the first murder trial that was broadcast nationally. The people of America were riveted to every single line, and Ted Buddy flirted and performed in front of the camera. His charismatic demeanor had the courtroom filled with swooning single females just waiting for him to notice them. He smiled and looked directly into the cameras, making him one of the most recognized and popularized serial killers of all time. One of his victims, however, who survived his attack being beaten badly, Kathy Kleiner said of her assailant in 1978, quote, The more people hear of Bundy, the more they want to hear. He's someone that's not going to go away, and people are going to keep talking about him. He's one of those notorious serial killers, end quote. But second, when Bundy asked Boone to the stand, he asked and literally married her while she was on the stand. According to Florida's state laws, a couple can declare themselves married in a courtroom if a judge is present. Being former law student, Bundy knew this and used it to his advantage, marrying Carol Ann Boone on national television. At this time, he was still professing his innocence, and Boone staunchly believed in him. She defended him to anyone who would listen, even while the evidence clearly pointed to him. Ted Bundy was sentenced to death row, and conjugal visits were not supposed to be allowed, but the guards apparently turned a blind eye, and soon Rose Bundy was born in October of 1981. Carol ended up leaving Bundy, probably due to his blanket confession of numerous murders, humiliating her trust in him, and maybe an affair with one of his lawyers. Whatever the reason, she took young Rose and moved back to Washington and never looked back. They never saw or spoke to him again. Ted Bundy died from the electric chair on January 24, 1989. Rosalie Martinez gave up everything to be with the man who will be remembered as Bolin the Butcher for the brutal rapes and murders of three women in Florida. Rosalie Martinez was a mother of four children, had a happy marriage to a prominent attorney, and a successful career in the public defender's office. She had it all, the mansion, the cars, jewelry, but she would say, quote, I wanted to break out. I wanted to be loved like I've never been loved before. Passion. Someone to put me on an emotional pedestal, not with material things, end quote. Oscar Ray Bolin was already incarcerated on kidnapping and rape charges. He was sentenced 22 to 75 years, but at this moment in time, they didn't know about the other crimes. She went to his cell to speak with him as the assistant for the defender's office in 1994, and something happened. She just knew, she says. She would try to explain it to the LA Times, quote, 
I felt his isolation, his confinement, his loneliness. It affected me because I felt the same way, and it left me breathless. End quote. They were married on live television over the phone. She wore a white dress and had a picture of Bolin on the counter. A minister was present as they exchanged their vows. A weird twist to the already odd story. Go back to 1982. He actually abducted the woman who was to be his first wife, Cheryl Hafner. He kidnapped her. They drove around Tampa Bay for hours, and then he released her. He was arrested for false imprisonment, but the charges were later dropped. In 1983, they got married. But then, in 1989, before his conviction, they divorced. After their divorce, she went on to remarry and told her new husband about her suspicions of Ray's involvement, or rather claimed that he confessed to the murders of three women. Her new husband called the tip line, and an investigation took place. So, these three murders had taken place prior to the one he was sent to prison for. January, November, and December of 1986. So he's already in jail for life, and is taken back to trial for these new murders they just found out about. Bolin's half-brother came forward and told detectives that he witnessed him beating Terry Lynn Matthews and attempted to drown her with a garden hose. His cousin also shed light on another missing person from Texas in 1987 that he claims Bolin raped and then strangled. The Texas prosecutors did not move forward with an indictment at this time because he was already being tried for three Florida deaths and was looking at three death sentences in 1991. Bolin admits to rape and holding a gun pointed at his victims, but maintained his innocence until the very end regarding the murder. And his wife, Rosalie, did too. She exhausted every appeal to try to extend his stay of execution and try to find someone who would listen and investigate other options. Kathleen Reeves, mother of victim Terry Lynn Matthews, said she resents the spotlight the sensational romance has received, saying, quote, It was taking the attention off of what had been done and putting it on the criminal, like he was some sort of superstar and she was the superstar's angel. The attention should have been on the victim, end quote. Supreme Court rejected Bolin's final appeal without comment, and he was put to death by lethal injection. He was pronounced dead at 10.16 p.m. on January 7, 2016. I have never, never, ever thought for a second that he was guilty of those three murders, Martinez said. She was one of the last people he saw before he was put to death. Dr. Grande of YouTube Notoriety warns that women who have a great fear of being sexually assaulted or attacked actually have a stronger attraction to dominant, dangerous men. Even though these women put themselves at a much higher risk of harm and infidelity. He says, quote, it may seem attractive, but not an optimal choice in reality, end quote. But he does go on to say that, quote, a psychopath can appear more attractive by manipulating women. They might take on more deliberate steps to appear more attractive, to do things that a woman would want to see, end quote. He warns that someone in the beginning can seem really charming and caring, 
but of course there is no depth or sensitivity behind it. And once you believe the facade they have presented to you, it becomes more difficult to see the truth. You're already all in. And if you're still not convinced that falling for a serial killer is probably not the best idea, or that it couldn't happen to you, here's one last story that should help you out. Give me a quick sec to spotlight this affiliate, and I'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's Elizabeth Bougere here with Bag of Bones, and I have to tell you I am so excited to have Lumi Deodorant as part of the Bag of Bones family. I aggressively campaigned to get Lumi on this podcast and my website. That's how much I love their products. They are all natural, and just because they're all natural doesn't mean they have to smell like dirt or baking powder. In fact, they don't even use baking powder. If you're tired of the store-bought brands that aren't doing their job and are ready to try something completely different in an assortment of scents, please give this a try. They have products for men and women, and they go far beyond just underarm deodorant. You have nothing to lose with their money-back guarantee, and when you use our direct link found in the show notes, you'll get free shipping on any order of $25 or more. Click the link in the show notes. Just give Lumi a try. Your friends and family will thank me later. Philip Carl Jablonski was convicted of brutally murdering five female victims between 1978 and 1991. His first wife was able to escape, but the clues were laid out of what was to come. They were high school sweethearts and got married shortly after he returned from being deployed in Vietnam in 1968. She said he once tried to smother her with a pillow and choked her multiple times. One of those times, she was pregnant. When he tried to drown her while she was taking a bath, she left Jablonski. It had been less than one year of marriage. The others weren't so lucky. In 1977, he met and married Linda Kimball and had a daughter, Megan, all in that same year. Kimball knew that something was not right when he started to become more violent during sex, and then he attempted to suffocate her with a pillow. But one evening, he went to Kimball's mother's home with the intention of raping her. He confessed to his wife, saying, I couldn't go through with it. All I could see was your face. Linda opted not to file a report, but she did decide to leave him. Days later, she returned to their home to get some items for their daughter, and there she was beaten, stabbed, and strangled. Jablonski was discovered 11 days later in Arizona and arrested. They found a handwritten note in his possession, and it read, quote, Killed to date, Linda Kimball, common-law wife. I told her she would never raise Megan alone or leave me alive. She begged me not to kill her. You screamed, but it was cut short, end quote. Philip Jablonski was sentenced to only 12 years for her murder. Enter Carol Spadoni. Carol became pen pals with Jablonski when she answered his Lonely Hearts ad in 1978. Then in 1982, they decided to get married at San Quentin. Not sure how long into their marriage, Carol started to notice that not all was the way it was supposed to be, but she was wanting to end her relationship, saying that she was starting to feel uncomfortable and that he was weird. And when she found out that he was being released for good behavior in 1990, 
she became very concerned. And with a good reason. He tried to kill his own mother while still in prison with a shoestring when she came to visit. Jablonski had his things sent to her house before his release, and she turned around and moved them right back out. She then reached out to his parole officer to talk about her concerns. Jablonski was told under no circumstances was he to go to the home of Carol Spadoni in California. Yeah, that did not go over very well. The court filings read, quote, Her nose and mouth were covered with duct tape wrapped so tightly it would have cut off her breath except that she had been stabbed in the throat creating a functional tracheotomy. She had a bullet wound behind her right ear and three stab marks in her abdomen. Additionally, half of her breast was sliced off exposing a silicone implant. There were also stab wounds to her vagina and her intestines were protruding from her anus as the result of a laceration. End quote. Authorities said they discovered a cassette tape where he describes in great detail about the shooting, stabbing, and mutilation of his wife and the rape and murder of her mother. It also included grotesque details about the last two women he raped and killed before he got caught while he was on the run. He pled not guilty by reason of insanity, but the jury wasn't buying it. I mean, he put it all out there on tape. He was put on death row. Then he was given additional death sentences when he was convicted of the two other murders that he committed while he was out on good behavior. His second-to-last victim was shot in the head and dropped off in a desert region, naked and mutilated. She had multiple stab wounds and the words, I love Jesus, carved into her back. While his last victim, in his own words, was, quote, repeatedly sodomized and gunshot to the head, end quote. Jablonski, not letting a little thing like death row stop him from true love, went back to the personal ads asking for men or women, straight or bisexual, to write to him. He described himself as a, quote, death row teddy bear, end quote. He requested, quote, an open-minded, unconditional, blunt correspondence on a mature, honest level, end quote. His personal ad goes on to read, quote, let's share our thoughts and feelings, good or bad. Let's learn about one another freely and watch our friendship bloom like a rose and be strong as a castle wall which can't be broken. And if that charming blurb didn't entice you, or you still may feel a bit wary, he adds, quote, do not let the knowledge that I am a serial killer stop you from writing, end quote. And here, my friends and listeners, is your public service announcement. Yes, yes, let that stop you from writing. I am all for writing to prisoners to encourage them and offer long-distance friendship. There are many that are doing all they can to turn their lives around, and they could use a friend or two to help them get through. I've been a pen pal myself. However, do not seek out romance. Do not marry a serial killer. If you can't bring him home to Thanksgiving dinner to be teased by your brother, tested by your father, and toss the rolls and pass the salt, then it might not be a good idea. Just, just my two cents. Philip Jablonski appealed his conviction numerous times, but all were rejected. He finally died in San Quentin State Prison cell at the age of 73, on December 27, 2019. 
And with that, we wrap up another episode of Bag of Bones. As always, I'm so glad you decided to join me for this week's episode. If you'd like to help keep Bag of Bones thriving, please consider supporting any of our affiliate sponsors, or if you'd like to help directly, I'd be most grateful if you'd purchase a gallon or several gallons of gas. All the links are provided in the show notes, and please know that however you decide to participate, it helps. Big purchase, small purchase, it all helps, and I am personally very thankful. I'm Elizabeth Bougere. Until next week, then. Bag of Bones is created and hosted by Elizabeth Bougere, produced by the Ragtag Network and History Revisited, music by Johnny Reed. To learn more about the show, visit elizabethbougere.com. For more podcasts from the Ragtag Network, visit their website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. Copyrights by Elizabeth Bougere and DCT Enterprises.